Well, the old story um, unravels while the new story is emerging. It's just the way sort of life works. Uh, right now it's autumn. Uh, autumn doesn't happen all in one day. I'm in the Northeast where the trees are turning color and it happens gradually. The, the releasing of the old and the dormancy happens, but the new is already starting to um, emerge underground. <laughs> and I think that's what's been happening. It, Victoria Lures is the author of Church of the Wild, How Nature Invites Us into the Sacred. She's also the co-founder of the Church of the Wild Network and Seminary of the Wild. I'm Umbreen Khan, and this is Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Before the break, we heard from Bob Smitana, who shared insights from his new book, One Key Shift, Pastors and Clergy Are Burning Out and Leaving the Pulpit in Greater Numbers. But according to my next guest, Victoria Lures, that doesn't mean they are leaving religion altogether. She would know. She was taking church and spiritual rituals outdoors. Four years ago, that included 14 communions or churches as they call them. But today, that network includes over 100. That's in North America as well as some beyond. She details the growth of this movement in her book, which was published in October of 2021 by Broadleaf. It's part manifesto, part memoir, and it's filled with lyrical prose, poetry, and biblical references. When she began, she's the first to admit she had no idea where the path would lead. When I first started the Church of the Wild in Ojai, California in 2015, I thought I was, you know, being heretical and, and I was crazy and I thought, oh, I'm just making this up. What is this? But let's just try it. You know, just try meeting outside in the middle of the woods, um, in the, under oak trees by the dried up creek. And, uh, within about three months, I found others who were doing the same thing and they thought they were crazy. And as we started to meet each other, we realized that this was bigger than just a idea that we personally had, that this is um, part of a larger story. Um, you know, it, it gave us uh, affirmation that in the midst of, of leaving the institution and leaving the indoor churches and a lot of the dogma related to that, we weren't fully letting go, but we were part of an emergence that was bigger than us. And mm. so we've been pretty careful all along going, you know, we're not going to define this and tell people, here's what it is, here's what you have to believe. But instead, we're in very much of an open-handed, open-hearted observation of what is emerging. And you can see that not just in religion or in wild church as one part of the uh, dissolution and reconstitution of religion, but in all parts of uh, our unraveling world, you can see the edges of emergence happening at the same time. Mm. How would you describe the Wild Church Network? I think the best way to describe it is with my own story, because a lot of this is not how-to. It's um, kind of an internal permission to uh, be in responsive kind of relationship with the natural world and the presence of the divine in the natural world. A lot of us, whether we're in the church or outside of the church, experience the holy, the sacred in relationship with the natural world, whether it's a sunset or a, a moment of encounter with a grasshopper. You know? um, there's a lot of different ways that that 
that that encounter happens. And the wild church for me was a, a slow emergence of, um, of recognizing that, that my most significant experiences of, of the holy, of God, of the sacred were when I was in some kind of relationship with the natural world. And that's another way of describing mysticism. You know, mysticism is just a direct connection with the sacred. And so there is this sort of nature mysticism edge in the tradition that I am part of, which is the Judeo-Christian tradition. But it, it's always been on the edges, and I used to sort of overlook that. And I was in a kind of church environment was a little more conservative, evangelical-ish, you know, this 30 years ago, that would tell me, you know, God isn't in a tree, God isn't out there, God is in here, in our, you know, not just the Christian tradition, but our church, you know, it's very much us versus them, tribalism kind of orientation. But I, but I, I grew out of that when I went to seminary, but I, still held my connection with with God and nature with my connection with you know Jesus or God in the church um and they were held separately when did that change when i left seminary i started uh, working with a relief and development organization and the project that I worked on it was called Let the Earth Be Glad. And so I sort of entered into this recognition that our faith and our relationship with the rest of the world are connected. And so, but back then, this is 30 years ago, back then I wrote this piece that was sent to 50,000 evangelical churches to say, this isn't a, a liberal agenda. This is something that's deeply rooted in who we are. But it was focused on um, a move from domination uh, and dominion and those kinds of theological orientation to a practice of stewardship. What I feel like I'm doing now over the last 10 years is moving from stewardship to relationship because stewardship still is a bit of one up you know that as if you humans are the ones who can figure out our way out of this mm. when we were the ones that created it it almost sounds like you put a power lens on stewardship yeah i mean it is kind of and, and it's important when we engage in stewardship in that domination worldview it can lead to the same kind of issues Starting 30 years ago, writing those kits and recognizing that our relationship with the land is part of our faith. And then when I did the environmentalism work with my son, recognizing how deeply urgent it is, <laughs> not only that we should do this because it's a good thing and it's aligned with our faith, uh, but we need to be connected, reconnected with the land and the waters and the soil and the creatures of our place on behalf of future generations. They are the generation that will be most affected by the impact of the climate crisis. And now, since then, after that burnout, deepening into actual relationship with with my place and with the trees and the creatures. It's one thing to say, yes, we're part of nature, but it's another thing to experience it. This is a remembering. You said something earlier in the recording around uh, us being forgetful, and that's exactly it. And I think it's part of being human that we tend to forget. And so 
what was helpful for me in bringing these two together and recognizing this is more than just personal to answer your question was being aware of the reality that the word religion, its etymology means reconnection, legios, re, again, legios is like a ligament. It's the connector. And so there's something about being human that we need spiritual practices and connect communally around these practices of reconnection. And, and when we get back to the original meaning of religion, it's embedded in all the religions that this reconnection with who we are in, in relationship with our place, with the natural world, with our people, with our community. And so that really is the core of this wild church practice is, mm. um, and movement is not only that we meet outside and, you know, in, in communion with the trees and the waters and the weather, <laughs> uh, but that we do so with the intention of, of reconnecting with who we are as members of this ecosystem. I was looking at some of the profiles of the leaders. There are some within the network who are, for example, Roman Catholic, others who are everything from, you know, the United Church of Christ to those who identify as Unitarian that have uh, different roots in, in the American religious landscape to those who identify as Buddhist or atheist, uh, secular humanist. How do you link all of those different points of view, practices, histories, stories into a movement? Mm -hmm. The bottom line is that our common ground is the common ground. And a lot of the wild church services, whether they're led by uh, an ordained minister or a spiritual but not religious kind of leader, it kind of doesn't matter who the leader is. The people that come are generally pretty diverse. There's some people um, who identify as Christian, but they're usually on the edge between the us versus them of inside the Christ tradition and not. The movement is people right in the center, you know, who are on the edge. They're either on the inside edge, kind of not recognizing that a lot of the dogma and the institutional church does not resonate with them anymore, and yet they're not ready to completely step out. And then there's people on the other side of that edge who have stepped out long ago or were never in, involved in the, in the Christ tradition and yet feel drawn to the mystical edge, that mystical edge of direct connection with, with God that, ha that is grounded in a tradition. And so these are the people, you know, who have read my book, who have come to Seminary of the Wild and who are part of the Wild Church Network and starting these churches. We don't tell people what to do. Um, but we do observe a commonality and something that's common is no matter where the, the leader is rooted and you don't need to leave a particular tradition in order to start a wild church. It's not an either or, it can be a both and, um, no matter where they're rooted, they make space for everybody to stay where they are, that there's many different ways in <laughs> to what is real and true and, uh, life giving, spirituality but we own it we own who we are and where where we've been you know i can't just just pretend i'm not christian anymore because generations of my ancestors have have been embedded in this tradition and it's been my experience and my life 
And so while I am, I have let go of and uh, rejected and deconstructed a lot of my faith and theological beliefs that were important to me when I was younger, um, I've gotten down to sort of an, an essence and a, and a rootedness. So something has shifted in my own um, idea of what and who God is. And I think that's true for most of these leaders within this movement is there's an openness to many different paths to, to connecting with, with God. And we can be in relationship as we go on our own paths because God is so much bigger than what any of us can embrace or describe or put into boxes. So I think that's probably the, the connection. As you describe that universality, I wonder how you negotiate different points of view. Mm-hmm. What and how do you manage or navigate that mm-hmm. among all of the leaders and those who identify right. as part of this movement? This is going to sound really um, simplistic, but it isn't. It's it's the reality that that at the center of all things really is love. And so, if that remains at the center, and we recognize that 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 conversation, that that um, love, that respectful conversation between that we have all different ways of approaching life and, um, yeah, really life. <laughs> How do we live this life in honoring all of the different uh, ways that we are interconnected? You know, so let me give an example. So if I'm leading a wild church service, I might include a story from my tradition. I won't say in, you know, John chapter one, there's this story. I'll say in my tradition, there's a story. And here's the story. Are there stories within your tradition that, that align with this? And more importantly, is there a story in your life that is mirroring this? Because all of these sacred traditions and these sacred stories have some wisdom for us that we can learn from. And so it's, but it's different than, uh, you know, um, I'm not a universalist, you know, Unitarian who tries to include all the different, um, traditions because I don't know them. That to me would be appropriation. I can just own who I am and where my background is, but owning that makes a difference. And it invites others to own who they are and where they've come in. Is there any pushback or, or mm-hmm. concern about the fact that y- y'all are calling yourself church? <laughs> and that means something very specific. Well, it was an intentional decision on my part. And there are many wild churches that don't, that avoid the word church because of that very thing. There's just too much of a trigger word, so to speak. Mm-hmm. When I first started the first Church of the Wild, um, it was intentional. I didn't, I wanted to, um, I, I recognize that what people see as church could either be, oh, that's a place where people gather for spiritual support, or it could be something that had caused them, you know, spiritual abuse. Um, to me, putting church with of the wild kind of reframes it right there. So it tells you right there, we're talking about something else. We're talking about the next generation. And it's rooted in something that's real. I mean, it is rooted for me in in the Christ tradition and my experience and our cultural experience. So it's not only dealing with the deep connections that I've had within this tradition to the holy, but also the deep uh, wounds that people have have recognized. So 
for those reasons, even the negative reason, I chose to go with uh, Church of the Wild. There's a lot of churches or, or communities, uh, gatherings, I would say, within the network uh, who want to disassociate from the Christ tradition completely. And when you visit in D.C., uh, I think it's called Community of the Wild Earth. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. They just changed their name. They so just I changed their that. name for this reason. And um, and it was a big, it became a big issue within the community that they worked out together, that they're working out together. And for some, it's, you know, they avoid it altogether. And for some people, they draw more closely to it. So in some ways, yes, we are making some adjustments there. But I sort of like that it was, we just were observing what was emerging versus trying to force it. Um, because when it began, pretty much all of the first leaders of these communities were ordained pastors who had left their, um, you know, church building. Some of them left their denomination, but most of them stayed in and still did their indoor church and held this outdoor, you know, wild church separately. And that just is the roots of it. But it is growing beyond that. As I was looking through the website and reading the book and reading the names that you were referencing of people who were influences for you, it was hard to not notice women play a big role in your life. Talk to me about what female kind of leadership looks like in the Wild Church Network. That's a great question. And it is central relationship is at the core, I think, of, of feminine leadership. And not that masculine leadership ignores it, but that it is at the core, I think, of uh, feminine energy kind of leadership. And so things like uh, we meet in circles rather than in rows where you're just looking looking at one person speaking, the fact that conversation is center, central, that every wild church gathering includes listening to uh, the Blue Jay as a preacher and the clouds, as well as sharing with one another our experiences. So it's very much rooted in conversation, which is more of a feminine leadership archetype. And it's around collaboration and uh, generosity instead of scarcity. Um, you know, it's around... Uh, power with versus power over. And I think it it goes with what is happening, what is the new story that is arising. It's not like we sat together and said, oh, what are the feminine ways of knowing? Let's do that instead. But it's more what's emerging. You know, it's that th- those ways of knowing, those ways of being, those ways of leading that have been dismissed and set aside or even oppressed um, are the very voices that we need in our world right now. How do you find the resources to continue to sustain this work? And do you envision the leadership and the responsibility being passed on? Yeah. Yes, that's been a big uh, question for me over the last few years. Um, I knew writing this book would uh, take me into more of um, sort of that articulation kind of role. And so I spent time building the platforms that would help the movement keep going. That enabled me to bring a few people in and I could step away like from the network. So I don't do much with the network at all anymore. And um, 
and then moving from Seminary of the Wild to the Center for Wild Spirituality, I'm setting it up with the core values of one of them is collaboration. And so uh, it's setting the stage of like, here it is, here's this, here's what we've learned so far in holding space as these leaders all over the world really are feeling that seed within them of, of what they're being called in to be a new kind of spiritual leader. They've been called by earth, by spirit into some kind of new uh, configuration of leadership and they're not really sure what that is yet and we don't know what that is but we can hold that space as they ask those questions so these people actually are part of my um my own sustaining group a lot of spiritual leaders who are holding on their shoulders a sense of responsibility for inspiring especially in uncertain times can be really hard mm. to get vulnerable <laughs> yeah, I think that's the core of it. It's that that move from, you know, this is, I think it's Michael Mead that talks about, you know, we are the age of the guru is over. And that what is emerging is very localized, very much honoring the wisdom of each person, uh, each, each, each different uh, culture. You know, and so that core value of honoring all of that, all of these, all the diversity needs to be practiced. I personally make time to be the one to talk to everybody who's interested because I like to, whether they do the program or not, it's almost uh, secondary. Primary is like, wow, there's people all over the world doing this work. They're, they're already engaged. We aren't alone. And we need to stay connected because we're stepping into um, a new story. Victoria Lures is the author of Church of the Wild, How Nature Invites Us into the Sacred. She's also the co-founder of the Church of the Wild Network and Seminary of the Wild. That's all for this week's show. To learn more about this week's guest, visit our show notes at interfaithradio.org. Our producers this week, Kevin McCarthy and Kimberly Winston. A special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler, MC Yogi and Audio Binger for our sounds. And to you, our listeners, for your support over the years. If you have any feedback for this week's show, we want to hear from you. Send me an email at amber at interfaithradio.org. I am your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan, wherever you are. I hope you are well. I hope you are safe. And I hope you stay connected. I'll see you next week. <laughs>